Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Twenty-five words or less. It was a Monday when I saw it. The competition said, What would you do if for a day you were Prime Minister? In twenty-five words or less. I don't remember the prize exactly, but I remember thinking, Could I win this? I could win this. Could I win this? Yes. It was Monday and I had to get to work. I couldn't find a pen, so I tore out the page of the magazine and I stuffed it into my hip pocket. I was trying to think of these 25 words on the 58 bus at 8.15. It was 15 late, and now I would miss the 8.30 train, and because of this I remembered that I hadn't paid the gas bill and it was 60 days, and my housemate given me $70, which was more than his share, but I'd already spent it on fuel for the car and jars of pasta sauce and some things from the chemist and this magazine, of course. And then it occurred that the rego was due. And why did I even buy that car? I never use it. And how, yes, it was great when she and I would drive and drive for days to nowhere and for nothing but to lie under that black, black sky and feel for sure that there is no spirit without the body, for how could the spirit survive with no body to receive it? And now I still feel that when she was ill, I was cruel. I was scared. I was cruel. I walked the kids the long way to school for those extra minutes of babble and distraction. I wandered, meandered among supermarket shelves alone, listless and swathed in that noble knell of air-conditioned music. And how in those years I actually unlearned words and learned more about the spaces between them, the way you overtrace squares with a ballpoint pen in Sunday's crossword by hospital bed on the waiting list. 32 down. It was Monday at four and I still hadn't thought of my 25 words. What made it so hard was the intrusion of calls and printers offline and knowing the board needed their papers by five with their order of quail and winery wine and everyone knew it was that point in the graph on the PowerPoint slide where people would have to be fired and everyone knew how Sue got sacked in Kurt Officialese by efficient SMS. That's 160 characters or less. And that made 25 words seem like rewriting the Constitution. And I burnt the pasta again because I forgot the oven. On TV, police were looking for a gunman. And those streets looked a lot like mine from the air. Those tiny little places with the lights on. Maybe everyone down there was scribbling into that same competition corner square. Their hearts thumping with every sudden sound in the garden. I don't remember the prize exactly. But I remember thinking, I can win this. I can be the best. One rousing call to action. One simple stately sentence you can fit into one breath. Do something. Anything. Is all that I said. Well, they say less is more. And if I were PM, that might just be enough. More or less. You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is the Spoken Word Program and I am Santo Katsati with a little bit of a flu virus. That's why my voice is not quite as beautiful as what you are used to hearing, listeners. And to open our program today, we heard in rather more than 25 words, but nonetheless with amazing conciseness, why Brendan Bonsack couldn't possibly do a worse job of being Prime Minister of this country than the current and recent jokers who presume to rule over us. That poem was shortlisted by the Queensland Poetry Festival Award just recently, and Brendan Bonsack is 
my guest on today's program. Welcome to 3CR, Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for having me, Santa. It's my absolute pleasure. I, I do love your voice, Brendan. It's just absolutely made for radio, unlike mine today, because of the what's happening to my voice in terms of sore throats. Um, anyway, um, the I fact I do that hope it's not the flu. <laughs> I'm just, oh, I, I'm I just drink, being convalescing I, with that damn thing. Really? Well, you know, because the amount of booze that I drink, I reckon I can actually fight it off. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Um, your voice... I love immensely, but that is far from the only reason I have invited Brendan into our studios for this program, because um, he came into our grassroots poetry scene here in Melbourne in the last few years, having also been in uh, the music scene, and stamped his presence with his calm demeanour, which I'm sure you heard, the steady reading voice and sterling community spirit. Now, I particularly like the the concision and the precision of Brendan's poetry. He really does say a very great deal with not so many words. But um, the style is highly accessible to the listener without being in any way cheap or glibly attention-grabbing. One other little thing about you, Brendan. I often see you at poetry gigs taking photos. Brendan very kindly offers those photos to all of us on Facebook, and they have a very particular style which sets them apart, use of shadows, lighting, angles, stuff like that, Uh, and they're black and white, which does create a very striking impression given that the subject matter that he is capturing is so obviously not from the classic black and white era. So (laughs) I do confess I have used some of your photos on my online dating profiles. That's how good they are. Wow. (laughs) Um, anyway, that's that's by have the by. Has uh, Lauren Bacall looked um, you up? No interest. No interest. That could be her now. Hello? Hello? Anyone there? Oh, well, there you go. Oh, never mind. Yeah, the stuff we do on community radio, I'm, I couldn't care less. Uh, Brendan, why on earth did you get into writing poetry in the first place? Uh, well, I came to poetry from song, so and I guess they're fairly similar. I've been a songwriter for many years, um, similar in the sense that they're structured. Um, they rely on brevity and uh, density, as you alluded to before. So, you know, you need to try and get as much as you can into a very small space using constrained tools, I suppose, um, Poetry is probably even less constrained than music because in songwriting you kind of had rhyming structures and you have repeats, you have call and response, that sort of thing. So um, I found it less constricting. And I think poetry is immediate too. So coming into the spoken word scene, you get a, you read a poem, you get a, an instant kind of feedback from the audience. And... Um, that's something you don't necessarily get with music. Well, it's funny, Brendan, you mentioned about this music because um, you know, a long, long time ago I was a musician. I was a concert pianist. I was in free jazz and stuff and uh, trying to produce house music and breakbeat and stuff. And I gave up in the end. But the um, thing that I did do was I started doing words over the top of that and, and that's when I discovered our poetry scene. Words 
and and how to put words together in a way that I guess was very musical and of the moment. Um, do you find when when you go to our gigs and when you do performances, you know, in the poetry scene, with, without music, without your guitar and stuff like that, that there's something exceptionally musical about the way that you read words or speak words on the poetry scene? I wouldn't want to say exceptionally, but. <laughs> But um, how modest! <laughs> but uh, poetry has an inherent musicality, anyway. I think there is a kind of uh, implied music. So I like to say, um, you know, a poem is a song with a dance partner. Um, without that, a dance partner, <laughs> that's that's poetry in, in and of itself. Um, that's I have to remember that quote um, because you know in ancient Greece there was no separate word for uh, music and poetry they thought that it was all the same thing so do do you think it's all the same thing yes i do um it feels like the same thing yeah okay then uh and now i i just have to hear again that poem that i've heard you read at uh, live gigs it's called the c word Yes, listeners, uh, I know what you're all thinking. C stands for dot, 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 but you'll be wrong. Listen very carefully. The C word. My father was a communist. I always knew when he'd lost his job because he'd pick me up after school, steal in his work boots and his overcoat clamped against the cold, and dink me home on his bicycle. The Johnson twins laughing and making faces as they passed us in the car. Mrs. Johnson yelling from the front, Don't stare, don't stare. And I would play Boy in the Crow's Nest, perched on the handlebars, face in the biting wind, calling, Pothole ahead, hard to port, steer left. And I'd stay up late, and while Gran wasn't looking, he'd give me a dram of wine in a jam jar, and I'd roll off to sleep with a vision of my father, the communist hunched over paper in the lamplight, wreathed in a trail of slow grey smoke like following the sinking of a stone. My father was a communist. I always knew there was trouble at the docks by the light from the bathroom sharp and thin beneath the door, and the hall would fill with shadow talk and the sound of running water and I would lay still against the loud, loud linen and play the spy, their words the warp and weft of gauze, and all I ever heard was, Why, why, and don't you ever think about the boy? And brushing my teeth for school in the morning, I'd spit my colgate at the spatters of blood remained where the sink plug clung to its tiny chain. My father was a communist. I always knew when Gran promised the Melbourne Zoo, but told me I should clean my shoes that, that night I would see him, propped up with pillows and pricked with tubes, eyes clamped against the oily, disinfectant glow. And perched on the steel back of a chair, I would play the sparrow, pondering the leg spring or wingspan required to reach his bed in a single bound, and be the boy who wondered if to land on him would hurt him, or if I would catch his slow disease just for being near him, my father, the communist. And Gran would laugh, buckling me into the back seat of the car. No, who told you that? You can't catch communism. That's not what he has. It's just what he is.
Future First Mutual Life Insurance. Mr. Williams putt-putted a small boat, out through the heads, slipped over the side, pulled the dark, dark sea around him, and emerged on land as Mr. Jones, the pale, kept-to-himself new neighbour of Mrs. Williams, widow, with her brand-new car and finally sending the kids to a good school. Word around the clotheslines and the fruit-vine fences was, something's going on, but who are we to poke our noses? A million, they say, the insurance claim, and paid, though they never found a body, so Future First Mutual kept the change. Those moonlit nights she would steal, out through the hedge, slip down his blinds, her husband, this man, never so alive than since he was dead, each kiss, each kiss, the invention of breath, and breathless, each kiss would revive them. But change or no change, there would be deeming and claiming in the craws of the neighbours that this widow Williams must have been faking. And fraud, fraud, a million times fraud, they all cried. Have you no shame, Williams and Jones? No sense of the value of human life? It's people like you make our premiums too high. And Mr. Williams, exhumed, spent six years inside. And Mrs. Williams resumed, counting the nights into piles like coins for the bills. Well, future First Mutual tut-tutted through their people, their balance restored like a hole in the water, and later bought into Wexton and Co., engineers of those precision military drones that can wipe out a whole wedding for just six million ago. You are hearing the voice and poetry of Brendan Bonsack on 3CR Spoken Word. And that poem we just heard then, Future First Mutual Life Insurance, leads me to ask you, Brendan, do you have a day job? Uh, I ask this because listeners (laughs) may well labour under the illusion that poets actually live off their work. Yes, it was, uh, I think it was uh, Kerry Luffery has a piece called What's a Poem Worth? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very long piece, a long and humorous piece, and I think the conclusion after much poking and prodding is uh, $3.75 is what a poem's worth. Uh, I've never have... had it put to me like that. <laughs> I've never, I, I don't know if I got the figure right, but uh, it certainly doesn't put a lot of porridge on the table, does it? So yes, I do have a day job, uh, and it's not in insurance or the other dark art, real estate. Um, I do uh, web programming or coding. Uh, so if you right-click on a web page and you go view source, that's the kind of rubbish that I do all day. Does that in any way influence the way you write poetry? I don't know. if it. You know, it could have something to do with... Uh, they're similar in the sense that they're concise and they've got a lot of rules. So you're trying to get a lot out of the least amount of words possible. So possibly... You must be having a laugh, but no, I'll I'll go home tonight and think about that. <laughs> All and well. I'm moving along, right along there. I see, Brendan, you have another confession there to make. Confessions of a time traveller. You know, those time travel shows have got it all wrong. They all seem to think you disappear. You just walk into a phone booth with a mad Englishman, woman, that's much bigger in there than out here. Or meet with a mad American man in his nuclear-powered car and vanish quite neatly in a trail of flames at 88 miles an hour. But I'm telling you, that's not how it works, whatever device you are using. I've been doing this for 3,000 years, and heck, my life is confusing. 
I just woke up one morning, and there by my side was the first of the copies of me. He had slept with my wife, and I could tell from her smile that he must have been better than me. And this dark feeling rose to punch him in the nose, but I couldn't decide which fist, and it's as well that I refrained, for I felt it on my face when she turned and greeted him with a kiss. And so then I thought, I may as well go to work. Perhaps now I'll get doubly paid. And I saw on the bus there were three more of us. How many of me had been made? One still had his hair and a beard down to here, and another with burger and fries on his lap. And the last one had a look that said, leave me alone, so I was careful to choose where I sat. When I punched the old clock, Susie looked kind of shocked. She said, I thought you were on leave. I said, who told you that? She said, the guy who's been sat in your spot for the last twenty weeks. I said, well, this is news. Who is this dude? She said, I don't know. You all look the same. So I checked out my station, and with some consternation, I saw it was all happening again. Only this guy was smarter and neater and seemed to be in with the boss like a treat, and I took a dislike to his suit and his watch and those pointy little shoes on his feet. And I began to believe, since the numbers of me had somehow grown to a plague, that surely just one would never be missed. But that was my biggest mistake. And as I opened the six-floor window to let one of us out, the strangest thing did occur. An army of me appeared on the scene and said, Come to the pub with us, sir. And they played the piano and they shouted me drinks and they read poetry through to the dawn. And then when it came to roll home again, we all gathered round and drew straws. Yeah, those sci-fi shows, they've got it all wrong. Time never lets you disappear. You just wake up one morning and think to yourself, it's so good to be back here.
3CR Spoken Word is being presented today by Santo Cazzati, that's me, and I'm in the studio with my guest today, Brendan Bonsack. A few minutes ago we heard Brendan's poem, Confessions of a Time Traveller, and just then appropriately we heard the great bebop jazz pianist Bud Powell playing Tempus Fugit, which is Latin for Time Flies an expression first used by the classic writer Virgil, the ancient Roman poet of the Augustan period. Time really is flying there. Okay, uh, Brendan Bonsack will now whisk you into the present on Melbourne's public transport. Ticket inspector. No, sir, I have not touched on my Mikey. And no, I have no excuse other than to say I was staring out the window watching the afternoon sun play like a sonata through the leaves, and the creased commuter faces of people in cars gaining centimetres by the hour, and I was trying to find that space to breathe, knowing that this morning's wind carries the last breath of myriad others stolen by muzzle flash or shrapnel or the drip, drip, slow murder of calculating bureaucracies. In this frayed and faded seat, I was trying to find a way to hold my breath in order to feel human, to draw into my lungs an air so full of holes and yet still sift it for signs of love and hold it till coalesced enough to speak its worth. So, no, sir, I have no Mikey, and I was not avoiding you, for you don't exist. Western Prophecy When the Bulldogs win the flag, yes, there will be cheering in the streets and a great honking of horns. People will be drunk for a week and calling in sick and high all through the summer on that vision of the hangar taken in the square with 30 seconds left and the glorious, nervous, mongrel punt playing roulette with a vicious southerly drifting across eternity and just scraping through. No score of you. The dogs are home. We will be home. We'll hug neighbours and strangers, anyone in the red, white and blue, or even vaguely west of the river. For the prophecy is true. The day of the little guy is coming. A Brendan Bonsack testifying to the phenomenon that was the premiership of the Western Bulldogs. OK, Brendan, I've seen your poems on Facebook. <laughs> uh, yeah, OK, that's all right. We, we'll allow you to do that. Um, I've seen your poems as Facebook posts, uh, and I have to say somehow it's a really appropriate forum and layout for your style. Uh, of course, we're hearing your voice live here on 3CR as well, uh, and I take it you're also interested in words on an actual page made of paper. So what do you think uh, are the differences in approach to all of these varied ways of presenting poetry? Well, the online poetry... I first got into online poetry. Uh, it's probably a long story that I can't, shouldn't go in here because we're running out of time. But um, on Twitter, so that's where I started sharing poems online. So with Twitter, you've got 140 characters. 
So you really need to be concise. So I think that's sort of where I learnt the ropes. I found that posting on Facebook, you get more characters, but I think people are more inclined to read it if it's short because they're scrolling through a feed and they don't have much time. <laughs> I confess that um, that's exactly what I felt about reading your stuff uh, online. Uh, what about the stuff on, on the page, though? You got any particular love for that? I do, yeah. I think it's slightly different uh, reading and and on the page. All poetry's trickery in a way, isn't it? Mm. Um, you've got a certain number of tools in your chest to try and trick people into believing or feeling mm. something. So paper gives you a certain number of tools and the spoken voice will give you a, a different mm. set. So mm. you've got gestures, like, you've got yeah. um, speed of the speech, loudness, that sort of thing. On paper right. you might have... One of the things I think that doesn't come across in spoken word that does come across in paper is with concrete poetry. Mm. So you can't see how something's laid out when it's spoken. And also punctuation tricks and spelling tricks. So where a word uh, sounds the same, but it means three different things, for instance, depending on how it's spelt. You can't, get a, you can't really get that across when you're speaking. Spot on. And you can't get it across on radio. Tough luck, but, <laughs> but it, it is something special. And you have a poem there that I think would come across beautifully in any medium. Walking me home. This is our dance. Night walking home, I keep the brush of factory walls against my shoulder. And the moon between power lines, black ink rule and pole, no trees in this neighbourhood. Your wide open faces, we... Tread knots along a string, moon shadows stepped on every crack. We could kiss by the wall and there'd be a song in that, but we are not lovers, just storytellers. What human is that? A bus-stopped figure flying a cigarette plume. Weave me there, heart. This is our dance. Walk me home. And we are near the end of this program. Our guest has been Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for sharing your work with us here at 3CR. Oh, thank you, Santo. It's we look forward to hearing a lot pleasure. more of your voice. Don't go away, Brendan. We'll squeeze one more poem out of you at the end. But first of all, a few community announcements. There are many live poetry gigs that happen in Melbourne. A lot of them have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work with others. Or you can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com, to find out more about the scene. That's all one big long word in lowercase, melbournespokenword.com. 3CR Spoken Word is on every Thursday morning from 9 to 9.30 in the morning. It's 8.55 on the AM dial and you can get it on the web as well at www.3cr.org.au where it's live streamed and it's also there that you'll find our podcasts. So until next time, let me put on my radio voice. This is Santo Cazzati signing off and shutting down. And I give the last word to Brendan Bonsack. Carriage. A certain quality of wind chill, and I am in New York, pre-9-11, crossing the Hudson by accidental train. We are joined at the scarf, our temples grafted each to the other's warmth, pearl-grey sun barely luminous. By now, she would be no bigger than a bean in you, three shirts deep, plus your jacket with the safety pin, 
where a button used to be. We are talking in steam, the distilled of our silence mentally calculating time and landing in the fall. Had she made it through?